Support for this podcast comes from Davis Malm. If you're a buyer, seller, investor, or lender, Davis Malm attorneys know each deal has unique needs and requirements. Building client relationships one transaction at a time. More at davismalm.com. D-A-V-I-S-M-A-L-M dot com. WBUR Podcasts. Boston. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and you're listening to The Common. WBUR health reporter Martha Biebinger, welcome back to The Common. So glad to be here, Daryl. Yes, yes, so glad to have you. Now, Martha, you recently finished a story you've been working on for months about supervised consumption of opioids. And it was published around the same time the state released its overdose death report, and that was last week. Before we get into your story, briefly talk to us about this report and what we learned from it. What we learned, Daryl, is that the state is not really making a dent in trying to reduce the number of people who are dying after an overdose. In 2022, the state set a new record. There are now more than six people dying every day after an overdose, And the preliminary numbers for 2023 show that we'll be at about the same rate. Mm. And that means that something needs to shift. The state probably needs to do a lot more of what it is doing in terms of providing treatment and preventing addiction and helping people stay in recovery. And it also means attitudes really need to shift as well about how we see and deal with people who are trying to manage an addiction to drugs. Well, let's move on to this idea of uh, supervised consumption, which your story is centered around. Can you briefly just explain exactly what is supervised consumption and what does it look like? Sure. So supervised consumption is the same thing as what the state is now calling overdose prevention centers. Daryl, they would look like a walk-in clinic. These are places where people with an addiction to any type of illegal drug could use and know that if they go out, if there's fentanyl in that drug and they overdose and stop breathing, there is somebody there who can use Narcan or rescue breathing, CPR, whatever is needed to support them and bring them back to life and call 911 if needed. Got it. Well, let's transition to your story. It revolves around a mother and daughter and, um, You know, listeners, there's a lot of things we have to keep private about their situation. So, you know, Martha, as best you can, tell us about this mother and daughter and their journey. Yes. We don't use full names. We don't tell you how old Renee is. We don't tell you exactly where she lives. And we altered her voice. So the story is about Renee, a mom, and her daughter, Brooke, and It started about 10 years ago when Renee started fighting a lot with Brooke. Brooke was a teenager, and she stopped going to school. She was depressed. She would refuse to get a job, which her mother thought she needed to do. She started seeing a boy that Renee didn't like. And and if you've ever had a teenager, you can imagine how these fights escalate, and Brooke eventually decides to leave home. Mm. She gets addicted to opioids. She stops communicating with her mom, and the mom gets frantic. So one day after about a month of not hearing from her daughter, 
Brooke wasn't responding to texts or phone calls. Renee is driving down the street and she sees Brooke. And in that moment of realizing her daughter is alive, maybe she's not completely okay, but she's, she's breathing. <laughs> Renee says to herself, that's all I care about. Mm-hmm. I want to keep Brooke alive. So she does this 360 pivot. It starts with buying a lot of Narcan and delivering that to Brooke. And when she's making deliveries, she sees that Brooke's arms are all messed up because she's been reusing needles and, and dirty, blunt needles. They, they leave bruises and wounds on the skin. So yeah. it takes a lot for Renee, but she says, okay, I'm going to buy her needles. I know that the needle I give her might be the one that kills her, but I'm going to take the risk that I'm doing some good. Renee's story is basically a story of making those kind of choices over and over again because she's prioritizing keeping Brooke alive. And where that gets Renee eventually is supervising drug use starts in the kitchen. Now it's in the backyard sometimes because she wants to be there when Brooke uses to be sure that Brooke doesn't overdose and die. Mm. Now, Renee's strategies have worked for Brooke, and she, Brooke is no longer um, addicted to opioids. Now Renee does this for Brooke's friends or people she's, she's met along the way because she distributes needles and Narcan now to 200-plus people in her city. This makes opponents crazy because it sounds like all she's doing is enabling drug use. What Renee says, Daryl, and we'll just hear from her now, is that she's enabling people to stay alive. I enable them to leave of their own volition and not on an ambulance gurney or in a body bag. All right. So, Martha, you're, you're explaining all of this to me, and I understand Renee's purpose here is to keep people alive. Some might see that as enabling, but she sees it as making sure they don't overdose. And with that, I ask, after you do all of this, what's the next step to, to move people away from those illegal street drugs that are so dangerous. Well, for people who are ready, Daryl, Renee will also start treatment for them right there in her backyard. It's another thing she does that is illegal. She's not licensed to prescribe Suboxone, which is a medication that can help curb the cravings for fentanyl or other opioids. But she will find a way to get it. And she will have it on hand if they're if they want to start, and she will she will start them with microdoses of that medication, and they'll slowly transition from fentanyl to suboxone under her guidance. Mm-hmm. What's being done to protect Renee here? Because Renee is making herself vulnerable here while she's running this operation. What kind of protections are out there for her? There aren't any. Yeah, and she's she's made peace with that. You know, she's decided. From that moment when she saw Brooke on the street and realized, I don't care about anything else. I just care that my daughter is alive. Mm-hmm. And frankly, Daryl, I ask, is there a line you wouldn't cross to do that? And she says, I ain't found it yet. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy. 
Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. And we're back with more from Martha. What kind of evidence is there that supervised consumption keeps people alive? Daryl, I'm going to start by taking us back to Renee. She has reversed 30 overdoses over the past few years in her little informal overdose prevention site. Mm -hmm. The research we have is largely based on supervised consumption sites in Canada, which is one of the countries that has allowed these for for several decades now. And one study there showed a 35% reduction in deaths within about a 500-foot area. And if you extrapolate to the city as a whole, it was a 9% decrease in overdose deaths. And then the other thing that the Department of Public Health pointed to in their report out last week was that there has never been a death in an overdose prevention center. Hmm. So the people who do make it to those sites come out alive. Uh, Got it. All right. So there's been some interest in creating sites like this here in Massachusetts, right? Though it seems like there is a lot of legal gray area to navigate. Essentially, what the Department of Health recommended this week was that the state lift the liability risks for staff and people using these sites. The state wants to be clear that anybody who was supervising drug consumption in a sanctioned facility would not face state charges under the Controlled Substances Act. They could still be liable for federal charges. So the question is, would the feds come down on a facility in Massachusetts? And we don't know. I asked the acting U.S. Attorney's Office here in Massachusetts, and they didn't, they didn't give me a response. Mm-hmm. There's a, a commitment among people who support this idea to move forward, but they are doing so in really uncharted territory. Do we know how common it is for people to do something like what Renee is doing? And is there any institutional support for those people? I've been covering addiction for about 10 years, and I've been hearing about this over most of that period of time. And I'll just say, this doesn't just happen with drugs. It happens with alcohol, too. There are lots and lots of parents, kids, aunts and uncles, grandparents who say, drink at home because yeah. we don't want another DUI. We don't want, we don't want to bail you out of the police department. We don't mm-hmm. want to find you in a hospital emergency room. Mm-hmm. So supervised consumption of substances is a fairly widespread phenomenon. 
But I first heard about it, frankly, with moms who wished they had done it. They, they couldn't get into the child's bedroom in time mm. to revive them. The bathroom door was locked. And by the time EMS got there, it was too late. Mm. So I knew that this was happening. And it seemed to me like it was this important story to tell because parents were trying to figure out, what do I do? How does this work? So that's why I finally did this story with Renee, but she is literally the first person I think who's ever talked about doing this publicly, even though we know it's happening. Yeah. So we're nowhere near institutional support for this yet. So what would have to change for that? Somebody would have to acknowledge that it's happening. They'd have to put together a set of guidelines, you know, kind of best practices. Change some laws. I think it would have to happen in advance of that because you'd have to change federal law in order for parents to be sure that what they were doing was not mm-hmm. going to put them at risk. And I don't, I don't really see the appetite for that in Congress, but I do know that we're not making a dent in overdose deaths right now. Yeah. So we have to give people some new tools and some new guidance. Mm. And Renee would tell you, this needs to be one of the options. She's not saying everybody should do it. She's saying, you do what's comfortable for you. You have to figure out what's right for you. I hope I give them permission to love their loved one the way they see fit. There's no blueprint for this. Renee did find a blueprint that's working for her now. You know, she is at some legal risk, so we don't know if it'll continue indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But what she would hope is that people have this option and understand how it works and feel comfortable doing it if they want to. Understood. Well, Martha, there's a lot here. I wish we had more time, but I appreciate you taking the time to come talk with us about it because this is very, very interesting. And I really appreciate your reporting on this. So thank you so much. I appreciate your interest, Daryl. That's WBUR health reporter Martha Biebinger. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Common. If you want to get in touch with us, please hit us up on Instagram at WBUR The Common or send us an email at thecommon at WBUR.org. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and I will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>